keep my coat on, and then if I start getting warm, I'll know it's time to quit. How about that? Uh, which won't take long. This jacket's awful warm. I, I, when I bought it, I didn't think it'd be that warm, but get heated up pretty quick. Uh, we're almost to the end of Zechariah, and we'll be in chapter 13, and I'm going to read it in its entirety. It's not that long of a chapter, and then we'll talk a little bit about Matthew and maybe a little First John, and I'll try to leave a little meat on the bone as far as time's concerned for our guest uh, today, but uh, we're so happy to have him with us. And you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, my wife is a college career advisor, and, you know, we get to kind of meet these folks who come in and, and sort of try to sell these schools. And, and it's been awesome to see, especially in our brotherhood schools, the ones who come in, and they just want the best for the kids. And, and that's, really, that's really neat to see. Uh, it could be very competitive and, uh, you know, fighting over this and that. And really it's, uh, you know, and, and Phillip's one of those guys that he wants the best for our students. And uh, we've seen that time and time again, and it's always cool to see him uh, at all the different events and uh, get to get to get, get caught up. And of course, you can pray for him. He's uh, down there with Riley Hall now, so uh, which he gets the same benefit we got. We had him here with Libby, which kind of balances it out. And so she's down there, and I'm sure she does the same down there. Uh, some great students that we've had, and uh, but uh, we. You know, I, I think uh, as I studied for this text, along with reading uh, the book uh, "The Day the Revolution Began" uh, by N.T. Wright, uh, I used to give that song um, "These Are the Days of Elijah." You know, I used to give it a pretty hard time because a lot of the lyrics, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense, right? We're rebuilding the temple of praise, like David, and I'm like, wait a minute, right? you know, that that doesn't really. That's not the way it works, right? Solomon is the one who builds the temple. Uh, but then you look at passages like Zechariah, where it talks about a fountain uh, that's going to be reestablished in David, and it was really kind of David's idea uh, that God would be in this place. But then that conversation, it's almost like subtle if you miss it, uh, this discussion between David and Nathan that we talked about before, about the idea that you know God is, is not... Uh, you know, stationary. He's not in one place. He's a living being. And that's such a different mindset. It's a different thought uh, in the day uh, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It was this idea that, you know, you created this image and it kind of stayed put and it's made out of wood or whatever. It wasn't really moving. It was really hard to detach that. And I think that's one of the reasons why God is so out in front of this is not how I work. I'm, I'm not tied to your ability. I'm not bound by your imagination. I am a living, breathing organism. I am something that and organism isn't even a really a great term because he's beyond that. He's beyond physics. He's beyond the, the goals and boundaries that he's set for us. Uh, you know, when I was in the dating world, you know, there are people who really liked the rock and roll Travis who didn't really care much about the youth minister, Travis, right? And then there, there was one, oh, we love the youth minister, Travis. We'd really like for you to put that music stuff aside, right? We don't really like the music you play, which most people don't. And, you know, we'd really like that other part. And it's like nobody wanted the complete Travis, right? Except for Whitney, God bless her, right? Uh, and even then, she didn't quite know the full Travis, and she signed up for it anyways. And it's a roller coaster, and it's adventurous. And she never knows which one she's going to get. And I'm like a box of chocolates. 
And God, this creator of the universe, is the exact same way. We, we get caught in the trap of trying to create the box that God should fit in. And a lot of times we get so caught up in the rat race that you know, we, we do things and we make imagery of things just to go against someone else. Right? I think about Mary in the story. You know, well, Catholicism says Mary is divine and she's a God. And so we as Protestants come along and go, well, she's not important at all. There's nothing different about her. She's just a regular, same run of the mill. And it's like neither one of those are correct. Those are both extremes. And somewhere in the middle is the truth. Uh, we do this all the time, even within Protestantism, right? We, oh, well, so-and-so's doing that. Well, we can't do it that way because we might look like them. Well, what if... The goal was to look like Jesus, you know, and to find and seek Him out. And I believe that Zechariah 13, that's what he's doing. He says, hey, listen, there's going to be this thing that comes along and it's going to blow away any box that you try to put it in. It's going to war against any imagery that you or corner that you try to put God in. He's going to come busting out of it. He is the God who created you and not the other way around. So in Zechariah 13... Uh, let's read that together. I'll be reading it in its entirety from the New Living Translation. I think there's some things that are going to jump out to you that are familiar. And you, imagery that you've been taught your entire life, you just didn't know where it came from. Uh, and that's the beauty of these prophets that we've been studying. On that day, a fountain will be opened for the dynasty of David and for the people of Jerusalem. A fountain to cleanse them from all their sins and impurity. Notice so far what he's listed that human beings will do. In this process. Zero. Right? And on that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will erase idol worship throughout the land so that even the names of the idols will be forgotten. Forgotten. I will remove them from the land, both the false prophets and the spirit of impurity that came with them. If anyone continues to prophesy, his own father and mother will tell him, you must die for you have prophesied lies in the name of the Lord. And he's referencing prophets of, of other gods or idols. And as he prophesies, his own father and mother will stab him. On that day, people will be ashamed to claim the prophetic gift. No one will pretend to be a prophet by wearing prophet's clothes. He will say, I am no prophet. I'm a farmer. I began working for a farmer as a boy. And if someone asks, then what about those wounds on your chest? And this is referencing uh, the idol worshipers of those days would cut themselves and, and, you know, cry out. You know, we see this imagery with Elijah and the prophets, right? And calling down the fire. They're cutting themselves. And, and you're one of them. Oh, no. no I, that was, that was uh, an injury I carried in farming, you know. Uh, well, that doesn't really look like a farming injury. Well, I'm just a bad farmer, right? You're willing to put ignorance... Uh, rather than associate with, with the sin of idolatry. Verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, the man who is my partner, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Strike down the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn against the lambs. Two-thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says the Lord, but one-third will be left in the land. I will bring that group through the fire. And make them pure. I will refine them like silver and purify like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, these are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. Now, once again, notice what man has done in this chapter. Those who call out to me, 
Now, in the Hebrew term, to call out on the Lord means repentance. When we call out to God, when we, when He, and sometimes He's the last ditch effort, unfortunately, and I can confess that sin to you, right? Well, I guess we'll just pray about it. Well, we just can't do anything. We'll pray about it. And it's that last ditch effort. But even in the last ditch effort, God says, I'll hear you. I'll take it. And I'll show you amazing things. There's this idea of repentance. It's not just a vocal calling on the Lord, which is part of it. But it's also this heart change. Notice what little effort it takes for mankind, for God to keep His covenant. I have not, you've forgotten, and I have not. In Matthew chapter 26, we see Zechariah is quoted when Jesus has this conversation with His disciples, uh, verses 30 through 35. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, Matthew 26, 30 through 35. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of Me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Notice this very important but in verse 32. But, because I want you to notice it, because it's almost like they don't. Right? All they hear, and we fall into that trap, right? All we hear is the bad part. Like, oh man, the negative. We get so caught up in the negative that we don't see the opportunity that's in the negative. The world is crying out. There's plenty of negativity, right? There's plenty of cynicism. Cynical people are everywhere. And what does that mean? That means when those who are positive, those who have true hope show up and show out, then the impact can be felt. It's an opportunity. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. How do we know that their focus was on the first part? Well, their response, right? Their response. Peter answered, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And the amazing thing to me is, is they've seen Jesus over and over again do what He said He's going to do. He's called it down the line every time, and yet Peter still argues with Him. Oh no! You know? No, I'll never forsake you. Right? Remember what we read about Zechariah. How much negative for the people of God was in Zechariah 13? They'll strike the shepherd. Right? Maybe it's because they are uneducated in the Jewish religion, right? I think a Pharisee or Sadducee, if they heard this, they'd be, oh, I get the context. I know where that's coming. Maybe not. Maybe they missed it. They missed other things. But I think we see here a little bit of the uneducated, untrained men because he quotes from chapter 13 and it's literally the only negative verse for the followers of God. The shepherd will be struck down and then he follows it up when I'm raised. Hey guys, I'm, I'm coming back. That's not the end of the story. Don't roll credits. I'm coming back. That's when the revolution will begin. That's when you will be renewed in Israel. That's when I'm going to come and this this fountain of David is going to be released upon the world. And it's going to be a earth shattering. I mentioned Mary in our response to that. Sometimes our response to Israel believing that Jesus was coming to kill the Romans and run them out of town is to think that heaven is a faraway place. That one day, yes, we're going to be joined with God and we're going to go meet Him in the air. And those things are not wrong. Those things are going to happen in whatever shape, form they are. 
But what we forget in the meantime is, is that we are a kingdom living people right here. And we're not supposed to wait for heaven to be the hope of the world. We are the kingdom. We are a royal priesthood set aside. We have been given a purpose. And so many of us are so busy looking for what is to come that we refuse to live as Jesus in what is now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are so busy on as it is in heaven, right? It's here. It's now. What are we allowing to be effective in us? When I raise again, I will go before you. Truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And we give Peter a hard time, and I just got through giving him a hard time. But the man pulls a sword and goes to work. Now, he's not good with it. He's not aiming for that guy's ear, right? That guy's just not dumb enough to sit there and go, oh, he's slinging a sword at me. Let me stand here and take it between the eyes, right? He ducks. And then Jesus repairs the damage. And it's such a confusing, conflicting... Here's the guy who's come to kill Romans. Right? He, he's this military... He's David. And here he is healing the person who's come to take him to jail and lead him to his death. It's different. God does not work the way the world works. And therefore, as the body of Christ, when our gut reaction comes to the forefront, we should always pump the brakes. Is this really what God would have me do in this situation? Is this the way a citizen of the true kingdom that is unshakable, Hebrews tells us, is to act and conduct themselves? I'm not saying we're not emotional, that we can't have fear, but it's in the admitting that we have those things. Peter is so sure on the roller coaster of life that I will do this. And it's not even just a few chapters, maybe even not even chapters later. I don't have, he's like those prophets. I don't have anything to do with it. Well, you sound a lot like him, but I, no, that's, you got the wrong guy. Right? And when we're confronted with our sin, that's often our reaction. I, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not that guy. When it should be, oh yeah, that's, that's me, man. I mess it up most of the time. <laughs> but because of what Jesus has done, even in our failings, even in our failures, even as we're being drugged off to prison in the face of, like Paul. Paul's prayer is not that I wouldn't be ashamed in how they kill me, but that I would never deny what Jesus has done in my life. That I would always claim to know Him. Now, before we give Peter too hard a time, remember the end of verse 35. And all the disciples said the same. Think mindful of the boat, right? Jesus is coming across. Peter says, can I come out there? He's the only one. Come on out. The rest of them are over there. Oh, we'll see you do it first, right? We'll see how this works out for Peter. He's always wanting to jump out there. So Peter, you know, I can't believe Peter. Peter says, oh, all the rest of them say, we'll die with you too. Peter draws a sword. I'm often reminded of that conversation with Jesus. Is, you know, can we have a sword? Well, here's two. Is that enough? Yes, it's enough. And we oftentimes ask the wrong question, Right? And then we wonder why the answers don't match up. Is it enough? Is it enough, Lord, that I do this? Is it enough that I do the minimum? 
And Jesus offered, yeah, that's, that's enough. But the question should be, what else can I do? What would you have me do? What is the right approach? What is the discerning and reasonable thing to do? And really, the question always is, what is the God-loving thing to do? 1 John chapter 2, and we'll wrap up our time together. 1 John chapter 1 is where I want to start. And realizing that really coming to know Jesus has everything to do with what the opposite of what the world views as success. You see, there have been Messiahs who had come and died. There had never been a Messiah who had come and lived after the death. And there's the definition of the revolution. That death itself could not keep a good man down. And because of what a good man did, a righteous man did, now there are many of us who are not so good, but made perfect in Him that cannot be kept down. See, I graduated from Freed Hardeman and however long ago that was, maybe I should keep that to myself. I got this fancy, nice little piece of paper that said, graduate. And I came out in the ministry world and brother, I knew that I had the answers. <laughs> and I had been equipped. I was smart, man. I had all this down. There's a piece of paper that said I was smart. You know, you get going, you're doing it your way, right? And three years in, you go, man, I am burned out. I hate this. I don't even think I'm going to do this again. It really didn't even take that long. It's that constant reminder of my ways are not your ways. Those are some pretty good ideas, man. But if I'm not the guy, if I'm not the engine, if I'm not what's pushing it, it's not going to have success. Gamaliel himself and all the wisdom. Hey, if we, if we fight these guys and they're with God, we are going to lose. If I fight the good fight, but God's not, it will, it, it will not have it's full fruition. It will not come to the complete promise. In John 1, beginning in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Right? It's, it's that vocal, it's that calling on the Lord. Why was God going to restore Israel? Because there was a remnant of people who had confessed their sins. We have idolatry. And we in 2021 are no different. We may not be building a little piece of wood. It may not be something that is immovable. It may be a person. It may be a thing. It may be an activity. But we are absolutely capable of idolatry on the same level, if not a greater level, than those of Israel. Because we hide it. And what God simply wants us to go is say, here are my idols do with them what you will. Have your way. But we first confess our sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a lot of unrighteousness. <laughs> you see these OxyClean commercials, man. You're just like blown away. Like, no way. I, we got to get that. I got two kids, right? We got to get that. That cleanse. That, that cleaning power is amazing. We, we live and die by it at our house. We'd have to buy new clothes every week if that stuff didn't work the way it worked. But it doesn't touch anything like the blood of Christ. To, I mean, think about the level of unrighteousness we see in the world. And here he says, if you're willing to confess. And that's the issue. Nobody is willing to confess. I've got it wrong. Why not? There's plenty of people to blame. It's the Democrats. It's the Republicans. It's Joe. It's Trump. It's... 
It, but we never go. It's Travis Creasy. What is Travis Creasy on an individual level letting the fountain of David explode out of him on a daily basis changing the world? Because we're too busy blaming idols instead of acknowledging our own and giving Him full power. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... But if anyone does sin, anyone does sin, like it's almost like a question. But it's really one of those things like when you, when this happens, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who's, who became our sin, the propitiation of our sins, who knows all of our capabilities, good, bad, ugly, indifferent. And He still, as the, in the context, pulls up beside us. This one's mine. That's a wonderful, amazing thing. It's no longer a temple that he resides in. He's building a temple of praise. Jesus says, I'll tear this one down. I'll build another one in three days. He's talking about you and he's talking about me. What he did built a temple of praise in us. The glory of God is a difficult thing because Jesus himself says, I'm going to go glorify God. He means going to a cross and dying. And that's a part of it. We must die to ourselves every day. My anxiety comes from my expectations. Either my expectations of myself is too high or my expectations of someone else is. And guess what? We always fail those. The apostles' confusion, they had this expectation of Jesus that He never came to do. And really, their expectations were too low. They were too right here, right now. Jesus can be that change in your life. And it, the justification is immediate. The sanctification, not so much. It's an ongoing process, but we're all in it together. This morning, we're going to have this song, and, and it's an encouragement for you, wherever you are, to, to be convicted by the truth and change right there. Offer your idols up to God. These are yours. Do what you will with them. Or maybe it's something public that you need to make be made known. We will be standing ready, literally, to assist you in any way we can. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about our shepherds other than the power of God that He's given us through the power of prayer in the name of Jesus to do just that. Maybe you've not put on Christ in baptism, you've not died to yourself, that is a required process to be like Him, is to die as He died, to raise as He has raised. If you have a need, why don't you come as we stand and sing.